Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today's message is the first in our series called Improve Our Serve. Pastor Lawrence Metzler will introduce the series and invite you to discover how we can serve like Christ by first learning from His model in Scripture. If you'd like to follow along with today's message, our feature verses come from John 13, 1-7. Just a good theme song for a series, but a good theme song for life, right? And so we keep praying that um, while we're continuing with our worship and giving this morning, let me just give you a, a welcome again to this place. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Penny and I were cel- celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary with a week in Florida. And uh, last, uh, so thank you, thank you. Um, we're going for 35 more, by the way. And uh, so last, Sunday, last Saturday, we're driving home from Florida, and we stopped in South Carolina and met up with Dan and Sherry Bogle. Uh, some of you know Dan and Sherry. They were members here at the church and moved to Charlotte because of business. And so we spent some time there, actually spent the night with them on Saturday and uh, had some dinner with them. And then Sunday morning, we got up at eight, uh, and went to an 815 service at a church just right down the road from them uh, called Transformation Church. I had known about this church. I had met their pastor before, uh, Pastor Derwin Gray. He played for the Indianapolis Colts and, and I think uh, another team uh, for, uh, in the NFL for a while. Now he's this powerful pastor and this speaker and has done some writing and speaking. But we spent some time at this church, which is labeled a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. And they're very intentional about that. Uh, I think we were in the minority as Whites, uh, Pastor Gray is, is, a, is a black pastor. A lot of great things happened, but the energy in that house was amazing. It was amazing. And uh, they had uh, traffic police, two traffic police, directing traffic uh, from the highway at 8.15 a.m. I tell you what, Transformation Church was on fire. And then at 10 o'clock, we went to Mission Community Church with Dan and Sherry. And this is a brand new church plan, actually about four years old. A new church plant with a young pastor, and that place is fast growing. Uh, you know, 450 people already, and mostly young families and uh, kids everywhere. Just a, a beautiful expression of, of, again, God's church on the move. And while I was sitting in that service, I received a text from Pastor Kevin, who was telling me that every single seat was filled at Shippensburg uh, last Sunday. All I can say to you is, God's church is on the move. God's church is on the move. All across America, God's church is thriving. You might hear about some, you know, some sad stories about church attendance decline and all that. God's church is on the move. And this, these are just a few. Aren't you glad to be a part of the movement of God right here at Grand Point Church? Oh, give it up, man. This is, this is awesome. I love being part of the church and uh, God's church is doing some amazing things uh, right now. I appreciate uh, Doug and, and Denny uh, doing some teaching while I was going, but it's good to be back with you. But before we jump into the message today, I want to pause for a moment. I just want to pray over the Shippensburg campus today. I got a phone call early yesterday from Pastor Kevin, and uh, he was on his way to Hershey Medical Center with his wife, Crystal. Uh, Crystal's been really having some, ish, uh, some health issues over the past 
uh, two months, and things finally broke down. She was not even able to get out of bed on Thursday, and it's raising a lot of concerns about what's there, and nobody has been able to really identify a problem. So they were in Hershey, and tomorrow... Uh, one of their sons, Ryder, is scheduled to be uh, to have surgery at Hershey, and so there's just a lot going on in their lives right now. So, uh, Doug Coldsmith is over at Shippensburg this morning, jumping in with just about you know 20 hours of notice, and uh, I want to just pause right now and just pray for Pastor and Kevin, pray for Pastor Doug, who's probably speaking at this moment, and uh, so let's just pray over that place as as we begin today. Can we do that? God, I thank you that your church is alive and well across America today. I thank you for for the way that you have so designed the church to be a gathering, a collection of people that are all about Team Jesus and are just serving you, worshiping you, and making you known. But I want to pray for our church right now, especially the Shippensburg campus. And I just pray for Kevin and Crystal as they're just going through a, a major weekend of a lot of stress and a lot of uncertainties with Crystal's visit to Hershey yesterday and Ryder's, going, Ryder's visit tomorrow and everything in between. I, I just pray that Ke- Kevin would have some rest this morning and that they would be well prepared for the week ahead. But at this moment, we pray for Doug, who's over at the Shippensburg campus, just serving in both services today. Thank you for his willingness to do that, just on the the spare of a moment, and to take this incredible passage of Scripture and and make it known there. So just bring great blessings over their house there this morning at Ship. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's great to be back with you to begin this brand new message series called Improving Your Serve, which we're going to do all through the month of February. Sounds a little bit like a tennis term, doesn't it? Improving Your Serve, but it's also a great challenge for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ uh, with our lives. So today in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, that's our text, we're going to see Jesus do something a little odd. A little peculiar, and then we're going to be left with the question, am I willing to follow Jesus' example? I see what he did. I see what Jesus is doing. Now, am I willing to follow his example? So what we're going to do is we're just going to dive right into John chapter 13. I'm going to break this down. We're going to spend some time understanding what this text means and then ask a few questions of ourselves. We good to go? John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and then taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Let me stop right there for a moment, and just to make a few observations. First of all, I don't know how many of you struggle with knowing what to call the third meal of the day. How many of you are supper people? Third meal of the day, supper. Some of you, how many, how many dinner? So I, I think the supper people went out because Jesus calls it supper right here. Okay, let me, let me just kind of set the scene where they're at. They're at this supper. And uh, here's what's going on. Jesus and his friends, they're sitting around the table. And this is, this is in the waning hours of Jesus' life. I mean, the clock is ticking. He's about ready to go to the cross. And these first four verses kind of set the scene for what Jesus is about to do. 
But before we pass by them too fast, we need to make sure that we understand the full picture of what is happening. Because it says here that Jesus' hour has come. That means that God's plan for Jesus, the very reason that Jesus even showed up here, his whole mission that Jesus was on, that moment is now come for that to be fulfilled. The hour had come. God's plan was ready to be finished. His hour had come. Now, if you remember back in John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding reception, and he's there with his disciples and with his mom, and the host had ran out of wine, which is a big party foul. And so Jesus' mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, can you fix this? Like, I know you can do some things like this. Can you make a little bit more wine? And Jesus says, oh, mom, stop embarrassing me in front of my friends. Actually, he didn't say that. But what he said was, no, mom, my hour has not yet come. It is not time for me to be fulfilled. I'm not ready to be glorified in front of all these people. But now we see, that was John chapter 2, but now here we see in John chapter 13, the hour has come. And you can kind of feel the weight coming down in this narrative, can't you? The hour has come. That really, uh, and it says Jesus loved his own until the end, and that perfectly, perfectly describes how Jesus loved those with whom he spent his life with. You see, Jesus loved this group of disciples patiently when over and over and over again, they didn't get it. He loved them patiently. They missed the point, though, of what it meant to follow him at times. He was gracious with them when he called out their sin. He was generous with them, giving them love that they had never, never even earned. And his love was steadfast. It did not bail it did not fail. He saw it to the end, even to the cross. And I kind of like the fact that Jesus' love for his disciples then very much describes his love for you and me now. Right? He's patient with us. Even if we don't get it over and over and over again, he's patient with us. And his love is generous. It does not quit. He loves us, and he did love us, even all the way to the cross. Don't ever ever, ever think that you're outside the reach of God's love because you're not. So John is painting this picture, and, and this picture would be incomplete if we did not know that there was a betrayer at the table. All right, I want you to get the scene. The disciples are all seated around this table. It's the waning hours of Jesus' life, and Jesus makes sure that we understand that there is somebody at the table that will betray him. In fact, he says, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, is here at the supper. Now, maybe you don't know much about the Bible, but there's a really good chance that you've heard of Judas before because Judas was the most famous turncoat in the history of the world. He followed Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He heard Jesus preach. He spent days upon months upon multiple years with Jesus, and yet his heart was never transformed, and within hours, he's going to be stabbing Jesus in the back. Now, the relationship between Judas and Jesus is one that I think we want to watch very carefully as we work through this passage. So watch as Jesus and Judas interact. Let's keep going on in John 13. John says, okay, the dinner's set. They're all gathered together. The hour has come. Judas is about to betray Jesus, right? And then Jesus again, and he has this habit of doing the oddest things, right? Look at verse 4. He, Jesus, got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, now the job of washing feet was actually the lowest thing that anyone could ever do in, in this particular culture. And so what happened was when people would come into a house, there would be a servant who would wash their feet because the roads that they traveled were dirty. Now, some people have all kinds of ideas about what this foot washing meant, and we're going to get to that, really, what this meant in a moment, but literally, they washed their feet because they were dirty. And this was so low that even the servants, certain servants would not do it. So if there was a Jewish family and they had Jewish servants, they would not even make those Jewish servants wash feet. They would go outside of the community and get a Gentile to come in and wash their feet because they wouldn't even let their servant, their own servants do that. So can you imagine the disciples now gathered around the table and they're all kind of looking at each other and they're kind of thinking, who is going to do this thing, right, that nobody wants to do? Who's going to wash their feet? And one of them would say, you know what, I'm, I'm considered a, a servant of the rabbi. Uh, I'm one of the inner 12, son of God. It's certainly below me to do it. Uh, can you imagine their surprise and maybe even their embarrassment? When Jesus himself got up from the table and began to wash their feet, John describes it this way. It says he took off his outer garment and he was only left, left with only a towel on. So not only was he doing the job of a servant, but he even took the appearance of a servant. One commentator said it this way. He said, Jesus did not lay down his deity in this moment, but he certainly uh, surrendered his, his dignity. This was a huge, humiliating act, and it was, it was an act of service, and the Son of God was doing it. This was like God on his knees, and he's washing the feet of his disciples. Now, what we're going to see in verse 6 is that one of his disciples named Peter, he kind of speaks up, right? He speaks up about this. So it says, he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not understand now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and he said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet because the whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, let me just take this whole dialogue about this foot washing thing. And I want to break this down to you because some of us just have a difficult time understanding this. Are we to take this literally? Are we to take it figuratively? Are we to do this? Are we not to do it? So let me break this down. And I think I'll leave you with with, uh, some action to do this. But Jesus is going around and he's washing the feet of his disciples. And I can imagine this is one of those incredibly awkward moments, right, where, where nobody kind of, uh, you know, everybody's thinking the same thing, but nobody wants to say anything. Have you ever been in one of those places, right? Everybody is looking at each other, and I know you're thinking what I'm thinking, but we can't really say anything because she'll get mad. You know, that awkward kind of tension that's in the room? I kind of feel like maybe that's what's here at this moment. And I love Peter because he's willing to say the one thing that no one else is willing to say. And and so Peter, Jesus gets to Peter, and and Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Kind of seems weird that you as our leader are, are washing our feet. I don't understand why you would be doing this. And Jesus, in a very gracious and fatherly way, says, Peter, I know you don't get it, but someday you will understand. See, someday my entire life will make sense to you, but right now you're only seeing a little bit of it. You're seeing a snapshot of my mission in my life. So Peter says, well, that's not good enough for me, Jesus. You will not wash my feet. Now, look, I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know most things. But one thing I feel, most, feel very confident in saying is that telling Jesus what he is not allowed to do is not a good idea. <laughs> uh, you know, and here's Peter. Uh, I mean, aren't you glad you came to church for that insight today, by the way? So, but here's Peter telling Jesus what he is and is not allowed to do is not something I would recommend. But Peter says, Jesus, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And now, while this might seem a bad move for Peter, I'm afraid it's a little bit too familiar. So here's what happens. We come to Jesus, and we accept him as our Savior, and we accept him as Lord and King of our lives, right? We receive him into our lives, but then there's sometimes, you know, I, I think of someone, uh, I mean, we get baptized, right? We, we, we get the t-shirt that says, all in. We might even sing a song that talks about surrendering all and consecrating our all to him. But, but if someone were to investigate the agreement that you made, they would find at the very bottom of the page that small print with an asterisk next to it. And they would see, Lord, take my life and let it be except for my bank account. Lord, take my life and let it be except for my marriage. Lord, take my life and let it be except for my career. And we've embraced the fine print. And and we have this idea that, Lord, 75% of my life belongs to you. Let me keep 25% of it and do what I want to do. Sometimes we, we consider it like this. We invite Jesus into our lives, right? And we say, Jesus, man, you can come into every room of my life, or, or not every room, but you can have the living room and you can have the kitchen, but I want to keep this door closed. I want to reserve this part of my life because I'm not quite willing to hand this over to you yet. I don't really want you to control my thought life because I love the fantasies and all those kind of things that I'm I'm engaged in. Lord, I don't want you to take that, but I'll give you this and this and this. It's exactly what Peter was doing. He was saying, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Not going to wash my feet. You know, I'm I'm one of your disciples, but but that's that that's not what you're going to do. And so Jesus, in verse 8, Jesus kind of pushes back on Peter, and he says, look, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you are not with me. Now, now this gives me the impression right here in this moment that maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus is talking a little bit more about something than just washing feet. Maybe this is not just literal feet washing. There might be something more here. I think he's teaching us something a whole lot bigger. You see, what Jesus is saying is, unless you serve me and sacrifice for you, you don't have a part with me. There are a lot of us who, if we're really being honest, we would have stood where Peter stood and said, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I don't need that. Listen, I have my own water, and I have my own washcloth, and I have my own soap, and I'm really scrubbing my feet with good works. I can do this myself, and I'm just going to do enough until I can finally earn your credit. Or I'm going to scrub my feet, and I can do it on my own by going to church and just being a good person. So, Jesus, I don't need you to wash my feet because I can do it by myself. Jesus is clearly saying here in verse 8, if you don't let me wash your feet, if you don't let me give you the grace that you need, you don't have any part with me. 
Again, I love Peter because Peter like kind of swings the pendulum. Do you see that? First of all, he says, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, well, then you can't be with me. And then in one second, Peter's like, okay, then give me the whole shower. Right? Just dump it on me. I love this. Don't touch my feet. This is weird. And then next moment, it's like, dump it on Jesus. Why just do a little bit? Do it all. And Jesus could have easily said at this moment, Peter, stop it. Like you're ruining the moment. (laughs) Right? I mean, I, you're getting a little weird with this. Now, luckily, Jesus is a little bit more patient than I may have been. And he graciously says, Peter, listen, you are clean. You are clean, Peter, but you still need me to wash your feet. You're clean. You don't need a shower, but your feet are dirty. You know what Jesus is talking about here? You see, Jesus is talking about our cleanliness in front of God. He's talking about what it means to be clean in in front of God, to have pure feet and a pure life in front of a holy God. He's not just describing the state of the disciples' feet at this particular dinner, in this particular moment, in this particular room, for this particular meal. No, he's actually painting a much bigger picture. He's talking about our cleanliness in front of a holy God. First John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And he's talking about, this is about believers, right? If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, say this next part with me, church. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to what? Cleanse us. There it is from all unrighteousness. So here's what's happening. Our sin has brought a mess on us. Now, I don't know that we say that a whole lot, but we certainly know that. We, we can feel it because it has made our relationships messy. And sin has corrupted our passions and our desires and our ambitions. Most of all, sin has put a divide between us and God. See, see this, is, this is why God showed up in the first place. This is exactly why Jesus left heaven. Jesus, as God, left heaven, came into this world, and and then went to that cross so that that divide, that messiness could be cleaned up. That's why he came, to save you from that mess. Jesus is saying, you are forgiven. Listen, when I came into your life, you are forgiven, but there's still a need for daily confession of sin. Some people will tell you that when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus, there's this one-time decision that you need to make, right? Just sometime, just somewhere in your life, you have to make this one-time decision to come to Christ. And so you decide and you get baptized and then you get your card for heaven and then it's over. Like that's the whole process, like that's finished. And you kind of just ride out the rest of your life then just doing whatever you want to do. No, there's, Jesus says, no, there's more. There's more to being a Christian than a one-time decision. See, you're clean. You're saved, but there's still a need to wash your feet. Do you know why? Because we live in a dirty world. We still walk in a dirty world. You might be, you're Christians. You're saved. You, you, you have that absolute assurance and that comfort and that confidence that you are a child of God, but you still walk through a dirty world, which means that your feet still need to be washed, Amen. right? And it's a daily cleansing, just like it was here. 
They wash their feet every single day. So in my life, I can have the assurance, I can have the comfort, and I can have the confidence that I'm saved and I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. But as I come to Jesus daily and confess my sin, it's part of what we call sanctification, becoming more like him. I love the song that we just sang. Jesus, I just want to be like you. And if you want to be like him, it's going to require a daily foot washing. Because, see, becoming like Jesus in this dirty world is not an easy thing to do. And so to to follow his example and to do what he said requires this daily cleansing. That's what this is all about. That's what this foot washing passage is, is teaching us. And so here's what he says. He says, look, you are clean, but not all of you. Did you notice that? Look, I've got 12 of you here, Jesus says. There's 12 of you around the table. 11 of you are clean, but there's one who is not. He's talking about Judas again. Like Judas kind of serves as this cloud all over this chapter 13. Judas keeps popping up, and Jesus is saying, look, Judas, even though he followed me, Even though he saw me, even though he learned from me, he was never a Christian. The scary thing for me, and maybe the scary thing for all of us, is that Judas looked like one. If anyone would have been watching, Judas would have, uh, Judas, they, they would have just assumed, of course this guy believes. I mean, he's following Jesus. He's one of the 12. He even had a role. He had a ministry job. He was the treasurer. He held all the money. He served on Team Jesus. But he was not a Christian. I think this is kind of a public service announcement for all of us in this place today because following Jesus is more than going through the motions. Following Jesus is even more than having a ministry position. It's more than just having a set of behaviors that you're following. It's actually having your heart transformed. That's what it means to be a Christian, where your heart is transformed, and Judas's was not. So Jesus alludes, again, to this whole crew that was with him and the one that was going to betray him. And Peter, Peter, our guy, looks at John and says, Hey, John, ask him who's the one that's going to betray him. So John leans back from the table and says, Jesus, who is it? Who's going to be the betrayer? Who's going to stab you in the back? Now watch Jesus' words here in John 13, verse 12. It says, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes again and returned to his place. And then he asked the question, he goes, do you understand what I just did? And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, for rightly so, for that's who I am. And then verse 14, watch this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, verse 16, in other words, mark mark this down, right? This is the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So right here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm not going to leave this up for your interpretation because I know you guys. Right, And I know you'll interpret this in any way that you want to, so I'm not even going to leave it up for your interpretation. I'm going to plainly and bluntly explain to you what I just did. And he says, guys, this is an example. This is not a one-time thing that I'm doing. This is an example, right, of what I want you to do, what I want you continue to continue as you live your lives among other people. 
Uh, no one's above his master. And if I, the ma- your master and your teacher, if I am your Lord and if I serve others in this way, that means you're not above washing feet. If Jesus did this, how does this impact my life? What does it take away from me? So let's hold John chapter 13 passage in this message. And let me give you a few takeaways. Number one is this. I want you to know that your success is not found in status, but rather it's found in service. See, the message that you and I have received all throughout our lives is this. Aim high. Aim high. I mean, the commercials, the college counselors, and even our loved ones will tell you things like, get all that you can. You could achieve achieve as much as you can so that someday you can have the status that you deserve. But Jesus says, listen, you're shooting for the wrong target. You're shooting at the wrong target because success is not about where I land on the org chart. Success is not about having everybody else think that I have it all together. But success is actually about how I serve. You see, the author of life is unlocking the key right here. And he's basically saying to us, listen, you and I bought into the misconception that if I pour myself out too much, I'll be empty. And that's kind of the way we think. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If you pour yourself out, you will be fuller than you can ever imagine. Success is not found in status. It's found in service. The second takeaway is this. Our service is not just to the select, not just to those that we like, but it's to everyone. When I think about who I served in my life, I, I feel like, man, you know, for me, it's kind of easy to serve people that I like. It's kind of easy to serve people that are like me or, or that, that are like me or people that do like me, right? It's easy to pour out to them and, and maybe it's family and maybe it's friends and maybe even the neighborhood. I can serve them. Actually, I can really serve someone if I think I'm going to get something back from them, right? Or I serve them if I think, you know, they have some hookups that I might be able to use a little bit later in my life. You know, we call it networking. And uh, we serve them because it's going to benefit me in the future. But when it comes to washing someone's feet whom I don't like, or maybe someone that has hurt me, or maybe someone who has betrayed me, I don't really sign up too easily for that job. But hours, I want you to note this, just hours before Judas was going to stab him in the back, Jesus stooped down and washed his feet and served him. And he's calling you and me to do the same. Now, there's a really good chance that you did not come here today with a folded up piece of paper, handwritten, that has a list of your enemies on it. In fact, if you did that, we're going to call the ushers in and hand you over to the Homeland Security because you shouldn't do that, right? You just don't do that. And chances are, we don't even consider a lot of people our enemies, but would you agree that there's some people that you just kind of don't like? I mean, they're, ah, they just, they're just not like you. They're, they're so different. They're hard to love. They're hard to serve. You know, for some of you, maybe it's the fellow, you know, the, the other mom at your kid's school and she's like perfect, right? Her hair's perfect. Her uh, makeup is perfect. She's like Pinterest with legs on, you know? And, and she's just got everything going. And you, you look at her and you kind of like hope something goes wrong in her life, right? Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to do that. I want you to serve her. 
Maybe it's the person that you work with, right? And they're just like completely opposite on the political uh, field that you are. And I mean, they, they maybe with, with the president, with the border wall, the marriage laws and all that, completely different from what you think. And they're loud and they're boisterous. And you are just looking for that opportunity in the lunchroom to kind of expose them and destroy them. And Jesus says, I don't want you to destroy them. I want you to serve that person. Maybe for you, it's that loud and obnoxious student in your dorm, right? And he, he or she, I mean, they're selfish and don't consider anybody else. And all you want to do is gossip about them and talk about them. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to gossip. I want you to serve him. I want you to wash their feet. When Jesus was talking about being the example, he was including Judas, And he says, I want you to live this out on a regular basis. Not only do you serve the people that you love, not, uh, not even, but, but even the people that are hard to love. The third takeaway from this text, and the final one is this. We'll wrap it up with this. Our service is not for recognition of ourselves, but rather a result of our relationship with Jesus. See, if you serve and then have to post it on Facebook for everyone to know, it's not real service. Because, see, you're serving out of a motivation not for recognition from other people, but you're serving because Jesus served you. And the only reasonable response for you is to serve him. Watch this. He says in verse 14, I th- If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's. Now jump all the way down to verse 34. Jesus wraps this whole thing up by saying, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. By this will all people know that you're my disciples. And we're going to pick up on this theme. I'm going to ask our team to come up and lead us in the final song. We're going to pick up on this theme for the next three weeks. And next week, we're going to really talk about what it means to serve others. You've been sentenced to serve, right? We've been served. We've been served by Jesus himself, He washed our feet by his love and his mercy and his grace. And when we receive that, we become part of him. But then as part of him, we go out and serve others. And we're going to pick that up next week. But in the meantime, I want you to contemplate on Jesus' service to you. Let's stand together as we pray. God, I want to thank you for this beautiful example that you've given to us. An example of what it means to truly serve. Of what it means to lay down a life for someone else. God, help us to ponder this today and consider your service to us. And in that way, begin to understand what it means to serve someone else. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for serving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church Podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. We'll see you next week.